This is the Pick of the Bunch by Basic Bananas, where we share the pick of the bunch when it comes to marketing, business, and people. Hi, and welcome back. Today, we are going to talk about how to write email newsletters people actually want to read. And I've got with me Marco Aaron from That Seems Important. She's an amazing woman and she's sharing some very clever strategies with you today. So let's jump right in. So today I have got Margot Aaron joining me all the way from New Jersey. And well, apparently she has amazing views of Manhattan, which I am slightly jealous of. <laughs> and Margot is an amazing marketer and she is known for being the creator of That Seems Important. And also, she's a writer, speaker. <laughs> she just told me before that she is the writer, the creator of the most popular newsletter that you have never heard of, <laughs> which she will tell us more about. And she's also known in this space as a really clever email marketer. Well, that was one of her past journeys, and she still has amazing lessons in this space. So today, what we're going to talk about is how to write email newsletters that people actually want to read. So welcome, Marco. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So do you want to share? Let's just dig straight into it, maybe. Do you want to talk a little bit about email newsletters? I mean, even we could probably start a little bit at where, why should we even still write? Should we still write email newsletters? That's a great question. Uh, so as an email marketer, I'm supposed to tell you, yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> but the real answer I will give you is it depends. It depends on where your audience is. I think like with any channel, whether it's social media, if it's Facebook, if it's Instagram, if it's WhatsApp, if it's television, if it's newspapers, um, it really depends on where your audience is hanging out. So the first question, and I would say the theme of anything that I would tell you about email marketing is, who are you talking to? Um, and what do they care about? And where are they? So if your people are on email, if they're checking their emails, if they're people who spend time online, um, then it's absolutely a channel you should be in. Um, one of the, the biggest arguments for email, though, and, and this one is important because it differentiates email from pretty much all other channels, in that it is the only one that's ownable. So if you are growing an audience, for example, on social media, Facebook, if that's the platform you use, owns that audience. You do not. If you grow your newsletter, um, you own that audience. So even if algorithms change, you still have your list of who's in your audience. Um, and that's yours forever. So that's, that's really the appeal of email. Um, my argument would be if you are in the online space or if you have a point of purchase that's online or if you do any sort of business online, you should absolutely be on email. Yeah, I agree. And I love that's exactly right. You know, that's something that we often talk about also in our programs here at Basic Analysis, that the that space is the one that you can own and that's the one that you people can't take away from you. Whereas on other platforms, you know, often if you let's say if you're using or heavily relying on on Instagram or Snapchat or any of these channels, it can be it can change very quickly. Yeah, it can change. It all changes very quickly, and and email's not immune to that. I mean, uh, 
Gmail reorganized its inbox once. And so your deliverability gets affected, but you still have the list of email addresses. And if you needed to, you could email those people because you have their consent and their content information. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I still read, I still read my emails every day. <laughs> right. All of us do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah most of so, us. So, and, and one problem, and that's why I wanted to talk to you today. One, well, problem one, one challenge is that there are a lot of newsletters that we may, may receive and then usually after the first or the second one we sort of zone out or unsubscribe so right. you want to talk a little bit about that and how we can avoid that yes so i'm not anti-unsubscribe if someone unsubscribes that's not always a bad thing so let's let's start there sometimes there's people on your list who don't have the problem that you solve um, or aren't the right audience because maybe your uh, company pivoted and is iterating and shifting its focus. That's totally okay. What's the thing that I'm most afraid of if you're doing email is being marked as red. That is what we don't want. If you are emailing, I want your emails opened. I don't want people getting emails into their inbox and then not paying attention to you. And so um, why does that happen? Why do people mark emails as unread? Uh, sorry, as red. And it happens because normally when you get emails from businesses, they're really boring. They're very self-involved. They're kind of annoying. They feel irrelevant and self and and like you you have when you get them in your inbox, the question that you ask yourself is the same question I ask myself when you see anything in your inbox, which is, what's in it for me? <laughs> Why should I care? And most of us uh, were taught that. When it comes to a marketing communication, you are broadcast, broadcasting something outward to your audience, that you are telling them something, you're pushing information onto them. I had a lot of clients back when I was uh, running my marketing consultancy that would say, well, we, we just had this feature update and we have an event coming up and we need to tell the people about it. So they thought about email as a, as a distribution channel and that doesn't work anymore. It's still a distribution channel for information but you have to nest that information in context that makes it relevant to the person on the other end. Because at the end of the day, the person sitting on the other end of the screen is a human being. And the human being is very busy and has thoughts and dreams and hopes and fears and is probably in the middle of a meeting or maybe on the toilet or doing all these other things with their life. So you have to think, I have a few seconds to capture their attention. Why would they care to hear from me? So the reason people open emails, uh, there's two really main buckets. One is who's the sender, right? I'm going to always open an email from my husband, even if it says something that I don't necessarily want to hear because he's my husband. And I know if I don't open it, it's going to be problems for me later. But the second reason, so, so you got the sender in one bucket. And then the second reason is the content, what you anticipate the content will be. So if part of what you've done as a company is train your audience to expect uh, maybe a discount or you screaming at them, um, then if they're not in the mood for that, they're not going to open it. So, so part of what you want to do with your email is humanize yourself and give people a reason why they should care to open your email, which brings me to the first question I think you need to ask yourself if you're, if you're doing emails and you want to write emails that people want to open, which is, what's your email for? And why do people sign up for it? Yeah, I love that. 
I think a lot of people don't know the answer. Like they'll, they'll, uh, and I'll give you a few examples of what your emails could be for. Um, they could be generating leads. They could be turning leads into customers. It could be cementing your status as a thought leader. Um, it could be that you are talking only to people who have already bought your product and you want to deepen your relationship with them. There's so many reasons why you send an email. And most people, when I ask them this question, what is your email for? They say, oh, it's all of those things. <laughs> and that's not a good answer. You have to pick one main one. And you might get to check off some other ones in the meantime, but that one main one um, is the thing that's going to guide how you write your emails moving forward and the promise you make to your customers or to your readers. So you want to know why people signed up for your list. What are you promising them? What did your opt-in say? Did they sign up for a white paper? Um, did you promise them five simple solutions to, to something? Are you offering them a 15% off discount for your first purchase? What you go into that relationship with, it's kind of like a, a first impression, is what they're going to think moving forward. It's really similar to a one-on-one -on -one relationship. <laughs> yeah, so. that makes sense. What is your take on, you know, when, when people do have the answer, hey, it's all of that, you know, it's lead generation, it's authority, it's content nurturing, it's sales. What is your take on those newsletters that do, let's say, come out once a month and they do have different segments. You know, one segment might be, hey, here is the news for, for January or February. Here is something that we are launching. Here is some, some content that might be useful. What's your take on that? Well, segments is, is a formatting thing. Um, and if we're talking about segmentation, which is different audiences, that's a, that's a different topic. But my take um, is you still have a primary goal and a secondary goal. Um, otherwise, you won't know what to measure. You won't know what worked and what didn't. So if you want to know if your email is working, you need to know, are you looking at engagement rates? Are you looking at click-through rates? Are you looking at opens? Are you looking at forwards? Like what proxy metrics are you using to determine if your email is doing its job? And you can't determine if your email is doing its job without a singular goal. So I, I encourage those people to choose one thing. And if they have multiple things, then you need to segment it out. Um, decide what has a singularly sales purpose, what has an engagement purpose, um, why you're on email in the first place. And to be really honest, like usually if I'm working with a company that says it's all the things, I know you have a marketing problem. Um, it usually tells me that you haven't sat down and done, done any strategy work, that you're not clear on what your business is doing online. Um, that you're maybe not sure what your value prop proposition is, that you maybe don't know who you're talking to. Um, email can serve different functions. So, so maybe we should distinguish for, for people listening the difference between a newsletter and sales emails. Because there are, there are really advanced sales strategies that you would use email for. For example, our, um, our mutual friend, Andre, will talk about autoresponders. Um, and segmenting lists in very advanced, really incredible ways where you follow what people are doing with their, uh, with their clicks and sort of giving them content that matches up with what their interests are. Um, so that's, that's a much more advanced email marketing strategy that has to do with, with storytelling and sort of pulling people along. When we're talking about, uh, and then there's also sales, sorry, there's also sales, which is where you're using something like Salesforce or direct outreach. And that is facilitating a one-on-one -on -one relationship. That's like 
you and I have been emailing to schedule this podcast. You and I were introduced. We started a relationship. We talk online one-on-one and we reply to each other. It's not so much a broadcast. That's a sales interaction, even if sometimes it's sent on a product uh, platform like Salesforce. Um, And then you have the newsletter. The newsletter is more of a broadcast email. It goes out to your entire list sometimes. Um, It's not always segmented. Um, And so it, it serves a distinctly different purpose than a lot of other types of emails. And so it can, it can adjust itself. Like I have a newsletter each month. Um, and I am very clear that my readers are future book buyers. They're people who um, are, are looking to me for thought leadership and expansion on certain topics around creativity, marketing, and, and psychology and entrepreneurship. Um, but they're not always who I sell to. Um, I, sell them, I send them sales emails sometimes. Uh, but my sales will, will come from different places. So I'm, I'm clear that email isn't always a sales channel for me. Um, so it's just something to, to know your audience about. That's, that's what I would say. Like if you don't have an answer to what is email for, then you don't know who you're writing to or what you're doing on the platform. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, the, the thing that you quickly mentioned, which is something that we often talk about also here at Best Finance, is that obviously there are different types of of email funnels that you need. The one that you briefly mentioned is the sales funnel. Then we have the nurture funnel, which is generally what you know is labeled as the newsletter to stay in touch. Then you might have an opt-in funnel where people come to your website and then you know a lead magnet. And then you might also have a, a reactivation funnel where you reactivate parts of your database or all of your database. Should we maybe I feel like we should maybe tap a little bit more into because you're really creative in this space into the nurture funnel. And maybe if you can even share some really good examples of newsletters to inspire our listeners to with some ideas. Sure. Um, so the nurture funnel, so everyone's clear, is when you have people who haven't bought yet um, and you are sort of they're getting to know you and you're putting them in. But, but let me just state for the record that the funnel approach um, and going from, from opt-in funnels to lead nurture funnels to pro- like all of the things you just covered, is, it's way more advanced. And for most small businesses, if, especially if it's just you, um, it's not always a reasonable option. Like A lot of the people who do advanced email marketing have a, a much bigger team that can manage the back end of, of how that works. So where a newsletter can come in and help you with that is it's a lot more low maintenance, if you will. Um, for the amount of work you, you need to do to still stay top of mind um, in front of your prospects and have them get to know you. And so um, ways that you can do that, uh, that that don't necessarily have to be part of a funnel. It could simply be that you are emailing once a week and you make a commitment that you're going to show up in people's inboxes once a week or once a month. Um, and there's, there's really good examples in the, in the personal brand space, but uh, one, two in particular that are coming to mind is Austin Cleon. If anyone follows him, he's the author of uh, Great Artist Steel. And he has a great uh, weekly newsletter that I think comes out on Fridays, I want to say. And it is a list of 10, um, and it is links to different things that he's been reading or listening to. Um, but he provides really useful context, and it's, it's generally in the arts or longer thought pieces um, or things about art and literature um, and creating art 
um, that, that are the topics he, he tends to stay on in music and parenting sometimes because he has a kid. Um, but it's all the topics that he covers in his books. So if you follow him, his newsletter gives you nice insight into other things you might enjoy for your day. So it's in your inbox each week, giving you a, effectively a list of links, but it's written in a way that is interesting and funny or uh, connects to interests you already have. And then when he does have something to sell, like when he's on book tour, he always mentions it there. He'll say, like, my new book is coming out in three weeks. My book is coming out in two weeks. My book is out. Have you bought my book yet? Like, he'll, he'll insert it there. So even though it's lead nurture in that way, it also can be really strong um, CTAs or, or what Gary v uh, Vaynerchuk calls like a right hook <laughs> where you sell really hard. Mm -hmm. um, another example is Anne Friedman. Uh, she's a journalist and she also has a podcast called uh, Call Your Girlfriend with Ami Natuso. And uh, she has more of what you were talking about with the newsletter with segments. So at the beginning, there's one segment that tells you about the, you know, she'll write a paragraph about what she's been reading, what she's thinking about. The next one might have a gif that is really funny. The next one might be ads. The next one's testimonials. Like she has sections that are the same each, each uh, week that you know to look forward to. Um, and she categorizes these. Um, and so it's a great way for her to reach her audience with the pieces that she's written that she wants you to read so she can get increased distribution. And it's a way for her to also deepen her relationship with you. Um, and you know, like people like us read things like this, as, as Godin would say. Um, so so it's, it's topics that only her, uh, her base would be interested in. So she tends to write more for for women who are more progressive in America, or people who are listening that are international, um, that tend to be a little more on the left um, or left-leaning. Um, and uh, and so she covers topics in a language that they're interested in and that they would care about. So those are some examples of, of ways that shows up in, in people's uh, companies and brands. And these are such great examples because they go back to your points where you said in the beginning, first, you need to know who you're talking to, and then you need to know what they're interested in. So both of these are great examples of Austin and Anne both know who they're talking to and then they give them the content that they know these people are interested in. Now, something interesting also that you that both of these actually have, they have really good names. Great article, you said, it's Austin's and Anne's, it's Call Your Girlfriend. What's your take on names? I think these are really, really cool names. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're really, really great names. Oh, naming is so hard. You know, I will say I, this is not a sexy uh, opinion, but I have always said that for names, only two things really matter. Can you spell it? And will people remember it? <laughs> Those are the two most important things, in my opinion, because I have seen in my career some really clever, hilarious names that no one can spell or remember. And when that happens, they can't find you online. So you're screwed. Um, and so in today's world where everyone is sort of Googling to remember you, it's, I think it's more, most important to have a name that's easy to remember. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, naming is a huge topic and we, we do a lot of naming in our brand consultancy, but I do agree. And, and sometimes even just keeping it simple works too. Yeah. Our, one of our customers here, one of our members, he's a consultant and his newsletter is called Sparks of Inspiration. And mm. that's very simple, it's, and that's what it is, it's inspiration, and it's very similar, it's got the segment, it's got book recommendations, and you know, another newsletter, I don't subscribe to a lot of newsletters, 
But the one that I do enjoy just flicking through is actually Tim Ferriss's. And his, yeah. and his is, you probably know it too, it's got different segments and it's always got a recommendation of some book or movie and then it's got some thoughts on a topic and then it's got a quote that he's pondering. So it's, it's quite, the content is, again, is, is, for me, it's interesting and it, it always makes me go and, and explore something that I might otherwise not have found. I've watched some movies that he recommended that I wouldn't have found otherwise. Yeah, I think that's such a great example. I mean, I think Tim is actually responsible for the resurgence of newsletters. Like, it is crazy to me that I am talking to you all about newsletters. For most of my career, I would have told you they were a waste of your time. And I would have told you to do funnels and more, more advanced email marketing. And what we are seeing now is that people, because of what Tim did, he did what's called a five bullet Friday, which is a term he invented that you're now seeing a lot of copycats come up, but they're doing a good job of showing up in people's inbox consistently, but being really, really clear about what you get. Like if you sign up for this, I will give you X, Y, Z. And so people who follow Tim um, are really, really interested in a very specific set of topics. And I think it's the best example of how to show up for your audience because um, I always tell people, you guys, if you're listening, listen to this. Um, your emails should feel like an inside joke with your audience. One of the biggest pushbacks I, I used to get from clients was, oh, people aren't going to get it. This needs to be understandable. And it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. There are so many things about what Tim writes that my mother wouldn't understand, for example, because it's not for her. So he uses things like in-group language and in-group topics to indicate who it's for and causes a bit of tribalism. It says, this is for people like you. It's not for people like you. Um, and it's really great. So topics you'll see come up over and over again is like growth hacking or biohacking or lifestyle design or cooking and health or um, stoic philosophy. Like there are, there are themes that show up again and again. And if you're not interested in those topics, you probably won't like the newsletter, which is totally fine. Uh, but if you do like those topics, you're so excited to nerd out on them. So it creates a nice line that I think even makes the newsletters more effective, which is you're in many ways cultivating a tribe of people who are all interested in these things. Yeah, I love two things that you just said here. Super good gold nuggets for our listeners. One is be clear on what people get. Mm -hmm. And the second one is your email should feel like an inside joke for yeah. your followers. I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. What, what's your, obviously, there's also a huge conversation around subject lines and, you know, yeah. do you want to share a little bit on that? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, listen, I, I laugh because I have a, I have a 51% open rate, which is considered very good in my field. That's Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of it. But I, I don't think it has anything to do with subject lines. And it's crazy for me to even say out loud because I would never tell a client that, you know, I would I would I work so hard on subject lines with my clients. And in my own work, I haven't seen a big difference. And I, I really wanted to understand what the heck was going on. Because um, when I would A-B test, I wouldn't see a giant uh, increase if I if I had a better line. And I realized that if you have built trust with your customers and if you've trained them to look forward to what you have to say, you don't actually get much vacillation in subject lines. Um, you get pretty consistent. Uh, it's kind of like across the bell curve. You get consistent performance. 
every week you'll see certain vacillation between, like I'll see between the 40 and 50%, somewhere along there and some vacillation therein. Um, and that's because people are trusting me. They see my name um, and they want to connect with me. And I've, I've talked to other, other people in the space about this same phenomena, if they're seeing it as well. Where I think it makes a difference is when it's a cold email or if people don't know you or you're bringing a cold list back to life or if it's sales emails. I think if, they're, if, like, if I'm doing a sales sequence, then subject ladder matters, uh, lines tend to matter more. Um, but for newsletters, I see, I see the worst violations of subject line rules. Like you'll see people write um, like Seth's blog, <laughs> newsletter one, and you're just like, what? There's no way that works. But that's what Seth Godin's emails say. And it, he is the master. So, um, so I think you have a little more leeway if you have, if you have a brand and if you have trust um, with people who are looking for who are excited about what you have to say and are looking forward to it. So it goes back to kind of how we started this conversation, which was um, what are people signing up for? <laughs> what, are, what do they think they're getting? So, yeah, I, think I know that's, that's a little controversial, but I, it, I've been shocked by this. <laughs> no, I, this makes total sense. And I think it, it really, it, it also what you distinguish here, which is I think quite important is that if you are writing a newsletter, if you want to, if you want to call it that, and it goes to people that already know you, the subject line might not have a huge influence. However, if it's something that might go to a larger audience where you're maybe selling something or re reactivating your audience, it might matter. But if it's a regular thing, it makes total sense. If it's a regular thing, they know, okay, it's coming from Margo. I know it's good. I'm going to open it. It doesn't yeah. matter what the subject line says. Yeah, that makes total sense. Exactly. Is there anything else that you wanted to add in regards to emails and making people yes. want to read your stuff? I, I will leave you guys with one thing, and that is your customers are not your colleagues. And the biggest mistake I would say I see with email is that we tend to let our colleagues get in our head. Um, and we can like, I know I did this in the beginning. I'd be like, well, oh my God, you know, this so-and-so marketer is going to read this and they're going to hate me. Um, or they're not going to think it sounds smart. And really, the, the people who are my colleagues, like my friends, or even my family, or people who, like you and Anita, uh, friends of mine, like, you guys aren't buying for me. You guys aren't my, aren't my base. Um, my, my customers are very different. And the same is true for you, like uh, for the people listening. Um, consider the difference between your colleagues who might be a little more vocal and loud and the people who are silently reading. The people who are silently reading who might be your future buyers, they're the ones you need to talk to and you want to talk to them exclusively. Um, you don't want your old boss in your head who's critiquing you or the woman who is grading your English uh, or whatever language you're, you're writing in, your papers from that language class uh, in college. You want to just talk directly to the people you know have the problem that you solve. That's it. Amazing. So basically write for your people and honor your people and don't write for your teacher or old boss or, or competitor or anyone like yes, that. That's exactly right. I love it. Amazing. Thank you so much. So there's so much in this episode. And as you know, when we got on the call today, we mentioned that we love here at Basic Bananas and also on this show, we love to come in, give a ton of value in a very short amount of time because we know that our listeners, most of them are business owners, entrepreneurs. They don't have a lot of time to listen to five hours of non-content so 
you've, <laughs> you've obviously delivered. There's so much in here and just a few, you know, talking points that I want to summarize for our listeners is first start with who are you talking to? So get really clear on who are we talking to here? What is this email for? What's the, what's the primary goal, maybe the secondary goal? And then also be clear on what people get so that they know, hey, you know, once a week or once a month. Actually, do you want to quickly talk about the frequency? Because it's, this is a question mm. we do get a lot. I get that all the time. Frequency and length. Those are the two questions that I get asked the most, and they are the most irrelevant. Um, I will tell you, um, there's a, you can Google a lot of the specifics of your niche, and you will find answers. Um, so for example, I know that my niche is online a lot more during the week than weekends. My husband is the opposite. He, he gets a lot more traction on the weekends. And that has to do with the different um, industries that we're in. But I will say, here's what matters. Consistency. When it comes to frequency, whether you choose a cadence that's weekly, that's daily, or that's monthly, um, as long as you're consistent and you show up again and again and again, uh, the frequency doesn't matter as much. But I'll, I'll add one caveat to that. Um, for sales, it matters. For newsletter, it doesn't matter as much. Um, for sales, you see really increased performance with increased frequency as much as we all think it's annoying. Daily works really, really well. Um, but so, so that's frequency. Now for length, everybody's like, you gotta write short emails. They need to be less than 500 words. You gotta have a lot of images. Um, I'm going to give you a hard no on that. That's an absolute unequivocal no. Uh, people's attention spans are just fine. Um, if you are uh, afraid of long emails, it's probably because the emails in your industry are very boring and written by bad writers. Um, so that's, that would be, I think length is not so much a, a problem as boringness <laughs> and the ability to write well. But I will say you do need to know your industry. This is, again, where it's specific. So my readers are, are people who enjoy long form. Now, I have a friend who works in design and fashion. His people are much more interested in, in visuals. I have another friend who works in food. She does meal planning. So her people also really, really want to see the food. They want to see how it's organized. So, um, so images are a much bigger part of how she communicates on the email channel. So part of it, again, is just really, really knowing what your audience expects and how they like to be spoken to. So you can, you can have fun. Um, I don't like giving a very clear, like, it must be short, it must be long answer because it's not true. Um, what's true is what works for the people you're trying to reach and what do they like and how does that inter intersect with your strengths? Um, I'll give you an example right now from, from a woman who's in one of, my, um, one of my programs. She is a designer by trade, and she does a lot of, um, I forget what she calls it, it's like program engineering. So she helps people put together curriculums. And um, she's writing a book, and she's having a really hard time getting through the length of words. She feels like, I have to write a lot of words, I got to put this chapter together. And so what we realized that her strength is, is drawing, it's doodling. So part of what has allowed her work to come alive, um, either in email or in a, uh, a blog form, which she also uses on email, um, or in a book form, is by drawing pictures. So that's what she sends her audience. Now, there's no email marketer who's going to tell you you should draw pictures, but it's working for her people because she's a designer and it's her strength. 
So I think finding that intersection between what people want to read, what they expect from you, and what they expect in the industry, and what you're good at is really where it's important. Yeah, That's I agree. And a really good way to go about frequency also is to just ask your audience. We've done yes. lots of surveys with our members and even at Basic Bananas, how often do you want to hear from us? It's not really what often what we think, but they will tell you. So totally. Obviously, that's a good way to go about I, it. Oh, I love that recommendation. You can also cheat. Like, I'll look at the analytics and I'll look at when I've run a campaign for every day for 10 days versus sent something monthly, and I'll look if there was a difference in open rates. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then something else that you mentioned is your emails should feel like an inside joke to your followers. Love that. Your customers are not your colleagues, so write for your people. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. This episode was amazing. Thank you for bringing all of you and your wisdom. And we'll also put your the link. Your newsletter is available on your on your website, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the link, do you want to share the link quickly? Yes, it's uh, thatseemsimportant.com. Okay. You can find me. You can Google Margot Aaron. It should come up. <laughs> so Google either Margot Aaron or thatseemsimportant.com. And otherwise, we'll also post all these links in the show notes. So you can also check them there. And as always, thanks for listening in. And thank you, Marco, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Bye for now. To get more from Basic Bananas and to learn new ways to grow your business with clever marketing, visit basicbananas.com.